Let's just pray before we begin. Father, thank you that you have recorded your word. You've caused it to be written down. As we come to the scriptures today, we thank you that we are coming to your word. As we hear what it says, as we discuss what it, is, what it says, I ask that you would open our hearts to receive it, that you would enable us to understand it, and that you would work in us through it. So we commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So are you ready to come to God's Word? Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 29. So let's read it. Verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it many become defiled. And see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. For you have not come to something that can be touched, to a burning fire and darkness and gloom and a whirlwind, and the blast of a trumpet and a voice uttering words, such that those who heard begged to hear no more. For they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. In fact, the scene was so terrifying that Moses said, I shudder with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the assembly and congregation of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of something better than Abel's does. Take care not to refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less shall we, if we reject the one who warns from heaven? Then his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven too. Now this phrase once more indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, of created things, so that what is unshaken may remain. So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us give thanks, and through this, let us offer worship pleasing to God in devotion and awe, for our God is indeed a devouring fire. Last week, Ian took us through the verses just prior to this, verses 5 to 13, and uh, from it shared a very important message that gives us great insight into the role that suffering and hardship plays in our sanctification as God's people and what God's purpose in it all is. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us, 
To the contrary, what we saw is that hardship and suffering are a part of God's plan to perfect us and to make us sharers in God's holiness and bearers of the fruit of peace and righteousness. So you'll remember all of that last week. The fact that we endure discipline and we undergo discipline means that God loves us and that He has received us. And yet so often when we look at or we consider things that we might be going through in life, we often look at it the opposite way. And we say, this must mean that God doesn't love us. This must mean that God doesn't care for us. And so, as we go into today's message, let's just bear what we heard last week in our minds. Because today's passage, what is happening here? We are being told how we are to live as God's heavenly people, in the sin-ridden world, particularly when we're going through hardship and suffering. And the, the writer says here we are to do three things. So maybe if you can just put that up on the screen. There's three things that we are to do that we see in this passage. The first one is we're to pursue peace and holiness. That's in verse 14. The second one is we are to take care of each other spiritually. The third one is we are to give thanks to God and worship Him acceptably. Okay, so those three things are what we are told to do in this passage as the writer takes us from just giving us understanding of why we go through what we go through to what we need to do in these times. So let's have a look at these three things today and let's just unpack them a little bit. The first one is we need, we need to pursue peace and holiness. Now, it says here, pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it no one will see the Lord, in verse 14. When we think of peace and holiness, think back to what we heard last week. Do you know that those are the very things that God is using the circumstances of life to build in us? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 to 11, we read it last week. Let me just read it to you. This is what he said, for they disciplined us, that's our earthly fathers, for a little while it seemed good to them, but he does, that's God, he does so for our benefit that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, now all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful, but later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those who are trained by it. So the very things that God is using the circumstances of our lives to build in us, to bring us into holiness, His holiness, and to bear the fruit of peace and righteousness are the things that we are told here to pursue. You see, you see it's not only enough to know why God allows certain things into our lives and what He's trying to accomplish through them, we also need to cooperate with Him. And that means that we need to be pursuing the very things that He is trying or working in our lives to produce in us. So do you see the sense of cooperation with God as we face the circumstances of life, as we go through things that we're going through, understand what God is producing, what He's trying to produce, what He's working in us, but don't just leave it there actually cooperate with Him and pursue those things. Pursue holiness. Pursue peace. So let's look at this. Pursuing peace. 
We are to pursue peace with everyone, it says here. Even with our enemies. Even with people that might be bringing those unwanted circumstances into our lives. People that might be making our lives difficult. That might be causing us to suffer. What is our response? We are to pursue peace even with them. If we're being persecuted, if we're being treated wrongly, maybe it's at our workplace, wherever it might be, we are to pursue peace with everyone. Why? Because the very circumstances of our lives are designed to cause us to become bearers of the fruit of peace and righteousness. You know that as God's heavenly people, and I'm going to explain that term a little bit later, we are to love peace, we are to seek peace, we are to pursue it, we're to be peacemakers in every situation. That's got to be our heart. We are peacemakers. What does it say? The Lord said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And so that is to be the characteristic of God's people in this earth. We are to be peacemakers, lovers of peace, seekers of peace, pursuers of peace. Not only are we to seek peace with everyone, but I believe also before we can even do that, we have to pursue peace in our own hearts. How can we pursue peace with people if there is unrest, anxiety, disquietness in our own hearts and minds? You know, oftentimes, the reason that we do not have peace with people is because we do not have peace within ourselves. Often we're at enmity with people because things are not right in our own hearts and minds. And so even as we're seeking peace with everyone else, we have to also seek that there would be peace in our hearts. And I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. How many of you know that passage? The Lord says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you anxious about something today? You know, I often ask myself that question, what am I anxious about? I often have to arrest myself because I suddenly find myself becoming anxious and troubled about things, anxious and troubled about circumstances. And I've found in my own life that when I'm anxious and troubled, I cannot pursue peace with everyone else. It affects my relationships with other people. It affects my relationship with Gail and with people around me. And so I have to deal with that anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. That's an all-encompassing word. Are we anxious about something today? What are you anxious about today? How do we deal with that anxiety? Well, he tells us, present your requests to God. Bring it to Him. Present it to Him with thanksgiving. And then it says, if we do that, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when the peace of God is guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we will be able to be people that bring peace into other situations, peace into difficult relationships, because we ourselves are at peace. Okay, so in pursuing peace, we need to pursue it in our own hearts. We need to pursue it with God. 
That's the wonder and the beauty of the fact that we are believers in Christ. We have peace with Him. We have been reconciled to Him. We are accepted by Him. There is peace with God. And because there's peace with God, we can have peace in our hearts. And because we have peace in our hearts, we can be peacemakers in life. Romans chapter 14 verse 17 says that, tells us that peace is one of the characteristics of God's kingdom. It says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Does that describe your life today? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. That's what we've been called into. Isn't that wonderful? God, the Bible says, is the God of peace. He comes into our lives. He brings peace into our lives. People are looking for peace in so many different ways today. They're looking for it through yoga. They're looking through it for it through meditation. They're looking through it so many different ways. People are seeking peace. The whole world is seeking peace. And yet the only way we can find true peace is through having peace with God and having the peace that God gives us. That's the only way we can have peace. And when we are in that place with God, we can have peace with Him no matter what the circumstances no matter what the situation, no matter what we're going through in life, even if the circumstance looks impossible, we can have a peace that surpasses understanding. And so this is what we're to pursue in these times of situ uh, these situations, when we're going through difficulty, when we're facing hardship, what are we to pursue? Peace. Peace with everyone. Peace within ourselves. Peace with God. Okay, let's move on. It says we're to pursue holiness. And you'll notice here that even as we pursue peace with everyone, we're to be pursuing holiness. This is a simultaneous pursuit. It's not something that we're not doing pursuing one or the other. It is simultaneously we are pursuing peace and holiness. Now, what does that tell us? We must never sacrifice holiness to get peace. Do you know there's always a temptation as God's people to do that? When we talk about pursuing peace with everyone, God's not talking about compromise. He's not talking about us compromising the Word of God, compromising our obedience to Him, because that's what holiness is. So He says here we're to pursue peace with everyone and holiness at the same time. What is holiness? It's devotion to God. It's consecration to Him. It's being set apart for His glory and His purposes, His will, His pleasure. And so we're to pursue that in our lives. As God's people, that's the kind of people we're meant to be. Where everything we do, every word we speak, every action that we take is for the purpose of the glory of God and the accomplishment of His will in and through our lives. So do you see the simultaneous pursuit that we're to have as believers? This should mark our endeavors in life. You know, the world is pursuing all kinds of things. Happiness, pleasure, self-worth, 
riches, fame. That's what the world is pursuing. But you know, when you look at Scripture, believers are to pursue something that's completely different. We're to pursue what we're seeing today. Peace and holiness, righteousness, the things that come from God, the very attributes and nature of God being worked in and manifest in our lives. What is holiness? Well, we've just been going through chapter 11, and we've been looking at all the great heroes of the faith. Do you know that they were holy? Why were they holy? They were devoted to God. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, the writer pointed us to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what holiness is? Just look at him. He is absolute holiness. Jesus was holiness personified in human flesh. Jesus is the epitome of what holiness is. And so when we're pursuing holiness, what are we pursuing? We're actually pursuing being like Jesus. Being like He was. Look at His life. Look at the way He treated people. Look at the way He responded to persecution. Look at everything that we see Jesus encapsulating and uh, personifying in life. That's what we're pursuing when we pursue holiness. It's to be like the Lord Jesus. And isn't it wonderful to know that God has given us the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, what does He do? When He's in our lives, He makes us holy. He brings that holiness into our lives. So why is holiness important? Well, it tells us here. Without it, without what we're talking about here, no one will see the Lord. That's why we're to pursue it. This is vital. This is not just some optional extra. This is vitally necessary for us to have. And that's why God, through all the circumstances of our lives, is working to bring us into His holiness. So we might be partakers in His holiness. God is holy. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's one of a kind. There's no one like Him. He has no peer, no equal, as we've just been singing today. But because He's holy, we as His people are also to be holy. We're to be devoted to His glory. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's move on to the second one. We're to take care of each other spiritually. How are we to take care of each other spiritually? By watching out for each other. Let's just have a look at verse 15 and 16. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no one be like a bitter root springing up and causing trouble, and through it many become defiled. And see to it that no one becomes an immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. If you cast your mind back, you'll see that in this letter, this kind of exhortation for us to look after each other, to watch each other, to make sure that none of us fall short of what God has called us into, is repeated throughout this book. Chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 10, we see these kind of exhortations coming through. You see, as God's heavenly people, we are not to just live for ourselves. We are to live with each other's eternal welfare 
in mind. We're not just living for ourselves. As the church, we belong to one another and we are to live our lives with each other's best in mind. In a very real sense, what we can say is this. We are responsible for one another's spiritual well-being. There's a sense of responsibility that we have towards each other. And I know that this goes against our individualistic Western culture. Because the Western culture today says, don't interfere in my life. It's my life. And as a result, we have a very individualistic outlook on how we relate to one another. You know, that's his problem. It's not my problem. When we see someone straying, well, that's their problem. It's up to them. And we're, sometimes we're afraid, maybe, to go to someone and say, listen, are you considering where you're going? Are you considering the direction of your life? And speaking to one another, it goes against our sinful nature, which is prideful, self-willed, rebellious towards God, and does not want to be accountable to anyone. We don't want someone coming to us and saying, you know, I'm a bit concerned. We haven't seen you at church for three months. What's happening? We don't want anyone to do that. Don't judge me is the word that is branded and thrown out there all the time these days. And so what we see here is we see the writer saying, see to it that there is no one amongst you that this happens to. See to it. It's our responsibility. It's a responsibility that we have as Christians towards one another. And as he says this, he's not talking here about control. He's talking about care. He's wanting the best for every one of us. He's not talking about unloving, hypocritical, harsh judgment. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is something that comes from love, not from bitterness or revenge or anger, but something that comes out of a heart of love and compassion and genuine concern for one another. We're to watch out for each other as soldiers watch out for each other. We're to watch out for each other like teammates in a team watch out for each other. I don't know if you've watched much rugby lately, the Rugby World Cup's on. And as rugby fans, as a family, we're very invested in it. But, you know, you'll see sometimes there's a skirmish. And you see the teammates running. I mean, the, the right wing and the left wing, they leave their wings and they run to get in there and to protect their teammates and to stand with their teammates. And you know that that's how we're meant to be as believers. We belong to one another. We're to look out for each other. We're to cover each other's backs. We're to make sure that we do not get tripped up. If one of us does fall, we're there to pick that person up. And we're not doing it from a, a place of judgmentalism. We're doing it from a place of love, care, and concern. Okay? So there's three things we're told to specifically watch out for. Let's just have a quick look at them. The first one is that, that none of us fall short of God's grace. What does that mean? It simply means this, that none of us stop running the race. That none of us turn away from the living God. That none of us apostatize. Secondly, 
He says that none of us end up being used by Satan to cause trouble in the church because of bitterness, anger, or resentment. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you will have seen this happen. Satan wants to worm his way in and get a hold of our hearts. And you know that it can happen in the church where even one of us can become an agent of Satan, bringing and causing trouble in the body of believers. And you know what causes that? Most times, not always, but often, it's because somebody is harboring bitterness in their hearts. They've been mistreated or they feel they've been mistreated. Maybe they didn't get the recognition in the church that they felt they needed. You know, maybe someone said something and they took offense to it. And the next minute they allow that bitterness to spring up and it begins to cause disruption. They begin to cause trouble in the church. What we need to realize is that every one of us is prone to that. Every one of us can fall into that trap. And so each of us is to make sure that that doesn't happen. And if someone is offended, what are we to do? We're to go to that person and seek peace with that person. We're to make sure that there is no bitterness and hard feelings that are allowed to fester amongst us. If you have a problem with someone, don't just shut it off. Go to that person and be reconciled to that person. Make things right with that person. Let's not allow bitterness in our hearts. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be transparent with each other. Okay, we're real people, aren't we? I don't know. I think I'm fairly real. And we do have emotions. And sometimes we do deal with these kind of negative thoughts. Go to the person. Go to the person with a prayerful attitude. And say, you know, what you said to me offended me. And if that's the case, repent. If you're that person that did it, even if you did it unknowingly, repent. Okay? I've had it many times. In fact, just today I sent a message to somebody and said, please forgive me if I hurt you by what I said. I had no intention of doing it. But please forgive me. You see, this is how we seek peace. And this is how we help one another to make sure that there's no bitterness that springs up in our hearts that's going to cause trouble in the body of Christ. The third thing is to see that none of us act like Esau did. How did Esau live? He lived just for the moment. His, his mind, his heart was just set on satisfying his immediate desires. None of us are to live like that. That's an ungodly, godless, immoral way to live. And people do do that. We heard the, the testimony that Kathy shared with us of that person that she was talking about who did that very thing went into immorality because not thinking about eternity but just some immediate need that she felt she had and we're all prone to that in one way or the other there's a we have a a, a weakness towards that as human beings and so we're to help each other let's not get into things that cause us to shipwreck our faith Let's keep our hearts pure before God. Okay, let's not act like Esau did. Let's constantly live with eternity in mind. With the fact that we've been called by God. He has chosen us. He has purchased us. Shed the blood of His Son for us. Let's never forget what God has done 
in, in saving us and bringing us to where we are today. So let's just continue as time's moving on. Let's just quickly wrap this up. There's a very good reason that we are to do this. Uh, verse 17 says, For you know that later when Esau wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing with tears. Why are we doing or why are we to do what we're hearing today? We do not want any one of us to be found in the same place that Esau was found. Not one of us to be lost. Not one of us to perish. Not one of us to come to the place where we stand before God on the day of judgment and we hear, I never knew you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where there is no more chance for repentance. Every one of us, God has called us, He's placed us, He's led us into where we are today so that we can be saved. Now, in the verses 18 to 24, I just want to quickly expound this to you here. It, it talks about what God has called us to be a part of and what He's called us to inherit. What does God mean to each and every one of us? I'm not going to read all those verses again because we just don't have the time. But you can just put them up if you can. Uh, verses 18 to 21. And if you have a look at that, you'll see that that is talking about the old covenant. It's talking about what happened when the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai where God gave the law. And he established that old covenant with Israel. And then if you can just put up verses 22 to 24, you'll see that this is talking about the new covenant. This is what we've been called to. This is what God has brought us into through Christ. And you can see from these words there that we've been called to something that is quite wonderful and amazingly glorious. And my prayer today is that we would have a vision of this. This is why we are to live the way God has called us to live. Because God has called us to be His heavenly people. We are a part of His heavenly people. Just look at those words there. We've been called to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the assembly, to the congregation of the firstborn. This is what we're a part of, who are enrolled in heaven. In other words, our names are written in heaven. When we get there and that book is opened, that book of life, our names are going to be found there. Because we're citizens of heaven. We've been called to the spirits of the righteous who've been made perfect. We're a part of the people, the company of the redeemed. The people we were talking about in Hebrews 11. And we've been called to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. To the sprinkled blood that speaks something better than the blood of Abel. What did Abel's blood speak? It cried out for revenge. What does the blood of Jesus speak? It cries out for mercy. The blood of Jesus on the mercy seat. That's where it's been placed. Jesus' blood is not crying out for revenge. It's crying out for mercy. Do you remember what he prayed as he died? Lord, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. That's what his blood speaks over us today. So this is what we've been called to. We haven't been called to something that is earthly and physical. We haven't been called to something that can be shaken. Something that is a part of this creation. We haven't been called to something that is terrifying, but something that is glorious. 
Our relationship with God is not one of terror. If you look at the old covenant, Moses said, I shudder with fear. And the command was that even if an animal touches that mountain, let it be stoned. We haven't been called to that. That was the old covenant. The curtain was still in place at that time. There was no freedom of access into the presence of God because our sins hadn't been dealt with. But in the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus, the way has been opened. The curtain has been torn. And now we can come right into the very presence of God, right to where His throne is in the very heavenly city. And we can approach Him without shuddering with fear. Because our relationship with God is not one of terror, it's one of righteousness, peace, and joy. Through Christ, God is no longer unapproachable. We don't have to fear Him when we approach Him like they did, because the way has been opened. And even though God is still the judge, it says there, we've we've come to God the judge of all. Even though God is still the judge, and He will always be the judge, and He is the judge of all, that means even our judge. Do you know what He does as judge for those who put their faith in Christ? He justifies them. He declares them righteous. And so as we come to the judge, God, the judge of all, In Christ and because of His blood that's on the mercy seat, speaking and crying mercy for us, as we come to the judge, do you know what we get? Mercy. Forgiveness. Justification. Reconciliation. Acceptance into His presence. Isn't this amazing? So even though God is judge, We don't have to fear Him in the sense that we cannot come to Him because He's the judge that justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Does that mean that that's the way it's going to be for every single person? Not at all. Look at what it says here. There's a warning that comes. Those who refuse to listen to Him. It's a warning to those who reject Him. You know what? To them, God is a devouring fire. Isn't it amazing that God can be a devouring, consuming fire to some, and yet He can be Father to others? What makes the difference? Faith in Jesus Christ. Accepting the Word of God. Accepting the One who has spoken. Taking the word of God and living our lives according to it. You know, hellfire and brimstone are a reality. Sometimes preachers get accused of using hellfire and brimstone just as a scare tactic. But you know, it's a reality. It is a reality. Yet, it will only be a reality to the rebellious, unbelieving world. Our reality, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who bow our knees before Him and receive Him as Lord, for us, the reality will be what's on the screen right there. That's our reality. Such a contrast, isn't it? It's like night and day, light and darkness. And you know what this, love, this, this knowledge should do? 
the knowledge of this, the knowledge of what God has given us, the knowledge of what he's called us to, the knowledge of the fact that he cares and loves us so deeply and has had such great mercy on us and shown us such incredible grace, you know what it should lead us to do? To live a life of thanksgiving to God, constantly thanking him. Do you know that no matter what situation you're in today, no matter what you're facing, even if there's no food on your table, even if you are hungry today, if you have no money in the bank, and you do not know how you're going to make it through, if you're in pain today, it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, what, I, what circumstance I might be in, we have so much that we can thank God for. We can stand in the darkest hour and say, Lord, thank you that you've saved me. Thank you that you've called me. Thank you that you've chosen me. Thank you that you've had mercy on me. You've, had, you've shown me grace. You have redeemed me. You have given me your Holy Spirit. I have a knowledge of you. I have a relationship with you. You are my God. You are my Father. You know the moment we start to do that, our whole attitude changes. Our whole perspective changes. Our whole response to life begins to change. And this is what we've been called to as God's people. We're to be people of constant thanksgiving and praise. When everyone else is moaning and groaning and complaining, we can be thanking and rejoicing. You know, as we do that, people will look at us and they're going to say, what's different about that person? And they'll come to us and they'll say, you know, there's a peace that you have. There's something that you have that I don't have. I've had people come to me many times and say this. And I'm not even aware of it. I'm just focusing on the Lord and just worshiping Him and just living for Him. And my heart, He's just filling it with peace and with joy. And they see it. And they come and ask the questions. And then you're able to say, it's because of Jesus. It's because of what He's done in my life. It's because of God. I have a relationship with Him. Isn't that wonderful? Do you see how God has called us to live as His heavenly people? Let's pray. Father, thank You today. Once again, Your Word is such a source of truth, inspiration, encouragement, strengthening, direction. Lord, it gives us everything that we need for life and for godliness. It equips us as Your people for every good work. And so, Lord, we've heard your word today. We pray that you would help us not to be forgetful hearers, not to go out of this place and forget what we've heard, but, Lord, to take what we've heard and to put it into practice in our daily lives. Help us, Lord, to do this. Lord, we so often fall short of it. We so often forget. We so often lose sight. But I pray that by your Spirit in us, you would constantly draw us back constantly remind us of these words as we go out into this week and as we go out in, into the life that is ahead of us. Help us, I pray, to live as your heavenly people in a very dark and evil world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.